wow, um, I this, this must be alopecia. Maybe it's alopecia and they don't even have to ask because it's just something that comes to mind um, before cancer. That's Deanne Callis-Graham, today's guest on the Alopecia Project. Deanna has had alopecia for the majority of her life, and she's written a book called Head On, Stories of Alopecia. Alopecia is an autoimmune condition resulting in various patterns of hair loss. My name is Sarah Adams, and I'm your host of The Alopecia Project, the podcast that uncovers the world of alopecia through conversations about the ups, the downs, and the everydays of living with hair loss. Deanne and I discussed her own story with alopecia, her projects, and why quality support is so important for anyone living with hair loss. Deanne and I had a long and extensive conversation, so we've broken it up into two episodes. Here's part one. Welcome to the Alopecia Project. It's great to have you on here, Deanne. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Sarah. So um, you've done a lot of wonderful things for the alopecia community. You know, you wrote a book highlighting the stories of people with alopecia. And as part of that book, you started a photography project, which was getting professional photographers to photograph people who are bald. You started an alopecia life coaching practice and you volunteer with kids who have alopecia. It's, it's amazing all the things that you've done. But before we jump into that, I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Um, if we could start from the beginning, when did you first start losing your hair? And when were you first diagnosed with alopecia? I first started losing my hair at the age of seven. So I was in second grade in living in Southern California. And that was pretty much from the minute we went to the doctor, we, we knew right away what they told us, well, this is just called alopecia areata, and probably it's not going to go away. She's probably just going to be bald, and that was, and that was the diagnosis. And I, they gave me some cream, and they sent us home, and, and that was pretty much it. How did you take that? You were young at the time. I was young, and I didn't really understand how serious it was going to be. Kind of hear this and go, all right, yeah, and my, you, you kind of gauge your parents' reaction, right, by by how serious it's going to be. And and my mom was really quiet, and, um, and that says a lot about when, when parents do that, when there's quietness. And so that was an indicator that things were, were not going to be fantastic, for sure. And so, and I'd already been dealing with another autoimmune disease that was a type 1 diabetic since the age of two. So this was kind of Another thing on top of something else that was serious as well. What was that like having two autoimmune diseases? Oh, it was extremely difficult knowing that you are different. No, I mean, taking shots when nobody else does, eating a snack at, at 10 o'clock in the morning when everybody else is playing on the playground. It's a very different experience. And, and then having the, the, the thing with losing your hair is it's very obvious to people and and so there was something that was kind of hidden. I could, you know, I had to go home and have a shot. I couldn't, I couldn't be at school um, without being super careful of my activity level with diabetes. But nobody really knew that was going on. But with alopecia, when your hair is falling out, it's so much more obvious. So they're really different, but still, they made me feel extremely different. 
and very, very alone because no one else was going through what I was going through. And how did you cope with that at such a young age? Well, I didn't. You know, you just kind of go day to day and and your parents kind of go, okay, just suck it up. You're strong. You can do it. Every day is a challenge. And so you just do it and you get the great thing was I had phenomenal friends. I had moved um, from the time when my hair fell out over a summer between second and third grade. And by the time I entered third grade, I was mostly wearing hats. And then I got a wig sometime throughout the school year. So um, that year, it was about being in a new neighborhood and having to make new friends and things like that. So that that was a big deal. And I had the most phenomenal friends. I will say that I had a great support system and my family was great. It's good to hear. So it happened between the summer of grade two and grade three. Can you walk me through kind of what that was like? So I'm a lot older now. So I'm trying to remember. Um, you, you know, I I kind of thought it went pretty quick, but I th- I think I had diffuse hair loss. It kind of just came out. And I don't, I never remember having, you know, a clump of hair anywhere or or wondering, you know, or looking in the shower and just going, oh my gosh, look at all this hair. And that's so many people's stories, you know, clumps and hair and hair. Um, So that experience, I never, I just don't remember that. But when my hair fell out for the second time as as an adult, that was, you know, the vacuum cleaner. That was a real, a real process for, for me. But yeah, during that two, grade two, grade three year, it's just, I don't remember the process of it, only that it was there, then it was gone. And and that was just something I just had to deal with. Yeah. So what happened after you, you lost your hair in grade three, and then it all came back at some point later on? It did. I, I was 14, actually. So I was in middle school, junior high. And it was between the, the summer of seventh and eighth grade. So again, it was, you know, a three month period of time. It wasn't something that that grew back you know, in a year, it was really, it was three months and I grew my hair back and my older sister styled it really cool. And I just started a new year kind of as a new person. It was kind of a bizarre experience. Just nobody remember. It was like, nobody really remembered. I was this person with a wig who was kind of a wallflower and quiet. I was able to um, continue to play sports and things like that. And I had a a lot more confidence for sure. Did people know that you were wearing a wig when you were in school? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, wigs were horrible back then. They, <laughs> I mean, they weren't like you could blend in. They were really ugh, not great. <laughs> so. And what was it like in high school having that experience of, you know, starting anew, starting fresh? And, and mm-hmm. were you wearing a wig at the time? Did you decide to go bald? No. So back in, so when I grew my hair back, it did stay around for the most part until, um, until I was about 28. And so through high school, I had just small round patches of of loss and it was constantly putting me, you know, eyeshadow on it or something to cover it or pulling it the same one way. And I'm sure you understand that experience. Anyone who has hair loss and they just want to pull their hair just a certain way, just to make it look right. And so there was a lot of that going on and I played sports and, and that was kind of a, a big deal. You had to just really get get your hair just right to, to not draw attention to yourself. So. And so then you were 28 and it all fell out. I was pregnant with my daughter at the time and it was, it, I would say I lost most of it on top. And, and so I wore a bandana 
for most, I don't know, probably a, a couple of years. And then when I had my son, a couple, a couple of years later, it completely fell out, everything. And this was the first time that I experienced universalis. So you lost your hair four separate times. Well, it was more, it was more like two times, two separate times, because it, it just never completely, completely fell out the, the second time. So it was more a, a transitional over a few years, um, losing that on top. And I actually did when I, my daughter was about a year old. By the time she was actually six months old, I had almost complete growth all over. And then by the time she was a year old, I remember at her birthday party going, oh, I discovered that first bald spot again, and then two years later, it was all gone. So, it, and it, I, I always say it's really, I felt like I should be more prepared, right? I'm like, oh, I've gone through this before. It's, it's just, it's just this again. But it was interesting, the adult thoughts you have, right? And you're like, this is so vain. I feel so guilty about this hair loss that, you know, it is just hair. You're thinking to yourself. Um, why do I feel this way? And, and the reality was it was a grieving process and, and I had to go through that just like all of us do. What, uh, so you were pregnant with your second or your first when lost? When, um, well, when my son is my, um, youngest child. And so what, that's when I lost all of it. What was that like with the kids? How did they react to your hair? They, it's completely normal. They had no issue with it. I did, um, I did transition from wearing a wig to a scarf or bandana when my daughter was maybe in the third grade, in grade three. So um, that was kind of a big deal because I was heavily involved in the school and being in the, in the classroom and things like that. And I wanted that to be um, easy for her. I didn't want their, her to be harassed by kids and, and being asked questions that she didn't understand. And so I, I just treated it really basic. And my son was a toddler at the time, mm -hmm. so he didn't really understand that process. But I, I just said to her, you know, honey, if anybody asks you, this is what it's called. It's called alopecia areata, and they can ask me any questions. And a lot of the time with kids, it's just about saying, hey, this is the definition of it. And, and that's it. That's all you need. And then all you got to do. Yeah. Did anybody ask any questions at that point? Did you find? Well, I found I immediately I, I set myself up for a position on the um, on our PTA. So it's our parent teachers yeah. association where I was the president and they had to come to me. The parents absolutely had to come to me to ask questions. And I kind of forced them to do that. <laughs> and and it was it was all very professional. We only talked about our kids and things like that. But there were people that I knew from the previous year that knew I wore or saw that I had hair or a wig and were worried about me, concerned about me the following year when I came back with a bandana. And all you had to do is tell one person in a group and they it, it easily spreads. So that was, they, that was pretty easy. Why were yeah. they worried about you? Did it, the topic of cancer potentially come up? Because I know that, oh, that happens for a ton of people. Oh yeah, that, that's the number one thing that comes to people's minds, so definitely, yeah, and it was and it was an easy conversation to deflect, you know, you just say, oh, this is what it is, then they, they go, well, she's handling it fine, so I'm just going to handle it fine too. That's great. When did you decide to shave your head? 
or to go, you know, without a scarf or without a wig? Actually, I, I did that when I released my book. I, I always felt it was, it was kind of a, a, an interesting process because I thought, oh, I can't go sell my book and, and show my book about these authentic experiences without living life as someone who is bald completely bald in the world and, and I always thought that that meant I had to be completely courageous and that's what it looked like being bald in public and I, I soon discovered that's really not what it is you you dress for comfort you act you live in comfort and that to me was sometimes when I'm hot and sweaty I'm going without even if I'm wearing a bandana and that comes off or a snow hat or whatever it is and sometimes that means going completely bald so I don't get a tan line when I'm on vacation. So <laughs> so that that happened when I was driving down. I thought, you know, this is I'm going to try this out. And I was with my, my mom and my sister and my daughter. And I thought, I'm just going to start doing this publicly. And it was more uncomfortable than I thought it was going to be initially. But the more I did it, it became easier and easier and easier. So... I would say today I'm, I'm really quite comfortable with it. Let's talk about your book, Head On Stories of Alopecia. What a mm -hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I'll put the link in the show notes so people can uh, take a look. Um, and I highly recommend the read for anybody who is starting to lose their hair or who has alopecia. Um, what inspired you or drove you to put this collection of stories together? How Stories of Alopecia is 75 different stories of people living with alopecia throughout the world. And I have some perspective from parents. I have kids and I have men and women. And, and the fact that I, I tried to draw from all over the world because I wanted to get the perspective of, of that, that dynamic and that process. Um, and, and they're all very similar, you know, no matter where you're from, hair loss, just really is a very similar experience no matter where you live. So I wanted to do that. But initially it started out where there were, I, I was looking for resources when my hair fell out again, and there really weren't any. I mean, there was nothing. And I thought, well, I enjoy writing, and I have a story to tell. And when I started to meet others, I went to my first NAP conference, and I said, oh, my gosh, this person's amazing. This person's amazing. Look at how they're living. And, and wouldn't it be awesome if people could actually read these stories and see their photographs and, and be inspired by that? And that was my, my initial thought. So how did you go about doing that? You went to the National uh, Alopecia Areata Foundation conference. And, uh, you, just, you just decided one day, you know what, I want to write a book. Well, I kind of knew going in that I wanted to write a book. I just knew I needed other people to to share their stories to do that as well because my story wasn't going to be um, long enough or um, I'm not going to say not interesting enough, but there's a lot of other stories that, that can add to something and make it pretty special. And more stories equal kind of a resonance with with all types of different people, so... And in your particular section of the book where you're talking about your story, um, the idea of identity kind of comes up a couple of times. How do you mm -hmm. think identity is impacted by alopecia and in your experience with yourself and, and the 75 other people that you interviewed? 
Well, I think initially people, like we talked about the cancer diagnosis, right? They assume you're sick. And so, so that's something that you actually have to come to terms with that people are going to think you're sick and tell you you're sick, regardless of what you tell them, right? They're going to, you're going to say, well, there's nothing, this, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. This is what the body's doing. And they go, oh, okay. So you're really sick though, right? There's nothing. And so they, like, they almost want to force kind of a sickness on you (laughs) that, that isn't real. And so there's, a little bit of that going on. And then there's the fact that you feel guilty that you, you're not, you don't have cancer, which is kind of crazy and bizarre because you don't want that to be your reality either. And, and then the identity piece of it is really about going, okay, am I, can I be feminine? Is it, I mean, how many, I don't know if this is your experience, but I get called sir often um, in public because people just don't pay attention. So excuse me, sir, or here, Hey dude, you want to do this? And I just got it the other day at work, which is, I was kind of dressed up, but we live, we kind of work in a very um, dirty environment, I guess. You know, we have a salvage yard and things like that, but I was just stopping in for something and, and I was asking somebody if they needed help and he's like, Oh no, man, it's okay. And, and I knew that he really meant man. It wasn't kind of a generalization of just people in general, man. So so that, that's kind of a big piece of it. You want to, for women, I know it's about their femininity. And then men, um, you know, it, it, it definitely is more accepted to be bald. But having universalis is a completely different experience. Having no eyelash hair and eyebrow hair. And, and it's definitely a process for them, too. And, and it needs to be acknowledged as well. Do you think that, uh, and, and I know it does for me, but my having alopecia has really shaped who I am as a person. I don't know if I'd be like, I wouldn't obviously wouldn't be doing this podcast otherwise, but I think it has really shaped um, how I perceive people, how I, how confident I am in myself. Have you found that that's similar with a lot of the people that you've spoken with in yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe that, that any challenge you get in life, it will make you stronger. And that's, and I think, I think that's just life. Um, with alopecia, it's kind of a process when you're, when you're constantly going through a change, right? You're losing hair, it's growing back and you're gaining this confidence. And then you have to go, okay, who am I now looking in the mirror and and going, this is who I am. And, and of course you have kind of your core foundation, your core beliefs and stuff, but there's other things that come out of it. You know, you wanting to help others is huge. And, and like you were doing with your podcast, you want to help others. You want to get the word out about alopecia and I think that that's that's really fantastic and so for so many years because I didn't do anything I was quiet I sat back and watched life kind of going on around me because I didn't want to draw attention to myself I didn't want my wig to fall off I didn't want kids to make fun of me when I was young and and something that happens with that is you just kind of draw into yourself and and don't live completely and, and once I made the decision to do the book, it was like, okay, this is something I have to, I have to do to serve others. And, and I've done that as I've kind of grown and um, spoken about alopecia and shared and educated and, and then started the life coaching business as well. Um, your book is amazing. It's very, very well written and, and I really, really like it. Can I just read a quick paragraph from it? If you don't mind a couple of, a couple of sentences. Absolutely. So, so you write, 
in the foreword of it. As I write this, I wear no cover. I am the primed canvas of the life that has chosen me. My bald body is my purple heart. I bear its crown with pride, now boldly standing beside my siblings sans hair. Over time, I have learned that it's not whether I don scarves, hats, or wigs that matters, as long as I remain authentic and embrace my beautiful bald reality head on. What a beautiful passage. <laughs> so I, I will tell you that um, I wish I had written that, but that is from Margaret Baker. She is an actress in New York who wrote the foreword for the book, and she she is very artistic in the way she writes and, and really, um, yeah, creative. I love that. What made you kind of put that passage in the book? I like the, the theme of the Purple Heart, the courage that comes with, with being bald and, and being bald out there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, when I asked her to write something that, that would really resonate with the readers, this is what she came up with. And I, I just loved it. And I thought, yeah, that's beautiful. Let's <laughs> go for that. <laughs> it, it really, really is beautiful. Now, you talk about a, a really, like, fun anecdote here. Uh, I thought I thought was kind of funny. Where uh, a bunch of kids are in an elevator and you're in an elevator. And, that you know, it's, it's boys and girls and they're all bald. And you have the mother, their, their parents or their mothers are there. Uh, obviously, who I assume they don't have alopecia. And mm-hmm. the kids kind of look at each other and say, well, are you a boy or a girl? And you, mm-hmm. get, you can say that you can see in the book that you're, uh, you're, the, the mothers are kind of nervous and embarrassed that that question came up. And mm-hmm. the kids just sweep it under the rug and answer right away, oh, I'm this, I'm that, and then just go on with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that, that experience because you can see – for for me as a mother, I watch. I was watching these mothers' response, but at the same time, I was watching these kids going, "Oh yeah, I remember. I remember being young." And but I never truly went bald when I was young. And so looking at that experience, it was kind of bittersweet. I thought, "Wow, I could have had this moment of bonding with someone." And and the fact that they were doing that, where they were just like, "Oh, you know, everybody's the same here. It, you know, whether you're a boy or a girl, we we don't have hair or we have." differing or you know varying varying loss of of hair and this is just who we are I'm a boy you're a girl okay let's go play (laughs) I love that it didn't phase them no not at all what do you it was was kind of cool yeah it, it definitely is uh, the mothers, on the other hand, I think, you know, tells a different story if you, they're initially embarrassed or nervous or awkward just because that question that, you know, if you're a girl, you should have hair. If you're a boy, you should have short hair. Like, how do you think, and, and from your experience, I guess, interviewing people and, and being a life coach, parents take the loss of their child's hair? Oh, well... I think that anything that happens to our child happens to us. And with alopecia, it happens to the entire family because you're having, you're having siblings at school being, Hey, what's wrong with your sister? Hey, what's going on with your brother? And when you're going out in public, parents are hearing um, strangers say to their kid, Oh, Hey, who gave you that haircut? Or, I mean, I hear the most crazy things that come out of adults mouths. Um, 
when parents tell me what they say and, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting for the entire family. You know, you just want to go out, you want to have a meal, you want to go grocery shopping, you want to go to school. You don't want to have to think about it every minute of every day. And, and that's the piece about education that I think is so important when, when we're in school and when we're out in public and people can say, wow, um, I, this, this must be alopecia. Maybe it's alopecia and they don't even have to ask because it's just something that comes to mind um, before cancer. So you kind of kind of look at the whole child, look at the whole adult and go, okay, you know, do they, do they look ill? Are they running around in circles? Are they shove, pushing and shoving their, their brother? And, you know, kind of let's, let's deduce this and say, oh, this could be alopecia. And really, and really it's nobody's business, right? <laughs> you kind of go, I mean, the education piece is important, but sometimes you just go, ah, oh, I don't want to, I want to deal with people. You know, I just want to do my thing. So, so I think that parents, you know, like I said, when it happens to your child, it absolutely happens to you. Um, and at the same time, you know, that, that your child's going to be on their own in public and in school, and they're going to have to deal with these things on their own. So you just want to set them up for complete success. Now, um, do any, either of your kids have alopecia? They don't No. And nobody in my family does either. I I can't trace this back to anyone. Interesting. So. Yeah, I, I've seen you know some some families where where if, if a parent has it, then sometimes the kids will have it or or a sibling will have it, and and uh, it it is um, pretty relevant in the family. I, I guess not for you, not for me either. So it's really interesting to see the differences there. Um, I want to point out one last piece from your from the story of your book, and then we can talk about the photography. But uh, I think another th- part that stood out to me was you said that you met a group of women who mm-hmm. you ultimately became really, really good friends with. What is it like ha- going to this conference for maybe the first or second time and really finding people? And I mean, you tell me, but I would assume that that's, quite the support group that you built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I will say I, the first year I really stuck to myself. I just, I just said, I'm just going to do all the, the workshops. I'm going to go in and find out information. And then, um, and so I didn't make a lot of friends that year. I was also wearing a wig. I was trying to kind of blend is what I thought. Uh, and at the same time, I, I, the whole time I spent time going, oh my gosh, is that a wig? Is, are they wearing a wig? Are they wearing a wig? And then half the time I was talking to parents of, of kids with alopecia who didn't have wigs at all. And so the whole weekend was kind of spent doing a lot of that, which was kind of interesting and funny. And so the following year I said, okay, I'm not even going to take my wig. I'm just going to wear a bandana. And that was the year that I met all these great friends. They were, they were just amazing. And we kind of, we were such we were so different, right? I mean, they were never people that I would meet in, in my everyday life back at home, but being open to experiencing people who were living just amazing lives and doing really incredible things. I met, I met a high school student at the time who's a great friend of mine now. And so she's like 20 years younger than me. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, this girl is like rocking it. And that's who I want to be like. That's who I want to that's how I want to feel in my everyday life. And so she was really encouraging. And, and I think just finding a group of friends, like you said, that support group, not everybody. I mean, there was, you know, 700 people there 
So of course, not everybody's going to be your friend, but this was a really great core group of people. And, and we really bonded that particular weekend. And as we walked away, we kept in touch and, and then met up again the following year. And it was just like we haven't seen each other in ages or in, you know, it had been days instead of years, a year or so. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that support is is key. I think that support and quality support is really important because you can spend all your time, you know, complaining about about your experience with people who get it, but that's not really going to move you forward. So, so having this group of ladies was fantastic. And I'm so glad that uh, you met them. I think it it speaks to being vulnerable, right? And and Prince and you saying that this the second year you decided not to go with your wig and and really embracing that vulnerability and finding other people who are doing that. And it's nice to know that those connections can be built pretty quickly. Yes. Yep. Healthy, healthy relationships and, and positive just encouragement throughout the year, right? I mean, you go home because especially right after conference, you are completely, you're fried, right? You've got all this information and you, it's just, it's awesome. You're with people who get it. And then you leave, right? Just like any experience that's so, um, you know, has so much information coming at you. And you walk away and you go, oh, how am I going to live? You know, like my, not how am I going to live, but how am I going to move through life without this complete support? And so we continue to do that even after conference. And I think that that is really important. You can't just leave a, leave a situation that, that's like that without having continued support. Okay, let's leave it there for part one of my conversation with Deanne Callis-Graham. We'll pick up where we left off on the next episode of The Alopecia Project. I want to give a massive, massive thank you to Deanne for taking the time to join us today and another really big shout out to all of you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you like and subscribe to the Alopecia Project podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play. We'll catch you next time.